Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. Today's buzz, well, this is kind of a mantra for a lot of what we do in our lives. Do more with less. My questions are why, where, how, what? Well, let's find out. I have breaking news for global industrial manufacturers. The time has come. You need to keep up to date on how the digital revolution and the industrial Internet of Things, two great big forces impacting everything around the world, how they're impacting your products and how your products are designed, how they're produced, and how they're serviced. Now, think about it. That's a big thought. That's a lot to swallow. So this means what do you have to do? You have to connect your engineering processes with your enterprise data. It's now critical. It's a mantra for your survival. Your key to success may rely on what we call a product innovation platform. What does it have to do? Well, a couple things. It has to unite research, development, and engineering on one side with your sales, your supply chain, your manufacturing, and your aftermarket service. A big deal. How soon do you have to do this? How do you have to get ready? Well, we have a panel of experts who are going to help us unravel this and figure out all of the elements that will help you succeed. We're almost at the end of 2015, and I know you want to have the right tools, techniques, strategies, and plans in place for bigger growth and success in 2016, and that's why we're covering this topic now. So first up, I would like to welcome my first guest. He is Alan Mandel. Alan is Vice President of Strategic Consulting, Sales, and Marketing, and co-founder of a company called LeverX, L-E-V-E-R, with a capital X at the end. And he has sent me the following quote from Stephen Covey. Those of you scratching your heads, who is Stephen Covey? An American educator, author, businessman, and keynote speaker. And here's the what you really think you know about Stephen. He's the author of the popular book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Okay, here's the quote. I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. Alan Mendel, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for this interesting quote. Love to see Stephen Covey pop up. So tell me, how does this quote about, well, it's a mantra for life, according to the way it hits me, Alan. How does this apply to our topic, which is kind of a technical topic in a niche audience segment, global industry manufacturer? So why don't you tell us? I love this topic. It holds true, I think, for both business and our personal lives. We're not destined to be defined by our circumstances, but but rather by our decisions in life and at work. Um, I find a lot of customers' uh, true success in any, if you will, product lifecycle program or initiative is largely based upon their ability for individuals in their organization to make process changes. It's the decisions that they make. Or do they feel like they are forced to continue the circumstances, the historically perhaps manual processes of the past, or can they make decisions to work more collaboratively with their uh, organization and, and for, with people outside of their typical local disciplines to truly build an integrated process that delivers better products and services for the market. 
Very interesting. A uh, question for you. Do you think that the people we're talking to today, Alan, do you think that they're aware that all of these changes need to be made, that they need to deep dive into what we're calling the product innovation platform? Is this news, breaking news, as I said in my opening, or is this something they've been grappling with for a while? And do they realize that they can make the right decisions rather than having the new, the new impact of what we call the digital revolution and industrial IoT, Internet of Things, rather though having those things just impact them and hit them face on that they have choices to make. What's your take on that? Well, we've been talking about the concept of computer integrated manufacturing and product data management uh, all the way back from the the 80s. And so having been around since that long uh, in this particular space, it's difficult for me to say this is all new. However, mm-hmm. what has changed is a real kind of if you will an appreciation that we've got to work in a more integrated way. We can't just uh, produce our products and throw them over the wall, manufacturing, throw it over the wall to accounting, and throw it over the wall to customer service. That we that it, the products are becoming more complex. The customer expectations are growing, and so we need to integrate these processes in a way that doesn't hamper or doesn't restrict the innovation process, but essentially reduces a lot of the non-added value tasks that individuals have to do so that they can focus more on driving innovation to their customers. Thank you. That's the perspective I was looking for. So this has been going on for a while. Is it coming to a head right now? Is that why it's so important for us to talk about this today, Owen? I think the the urgency that we see today is that there is this, as you mentioned, this desire to do more with less. And mm-hmm. we've gone over a number of recessions over the last couple of decades where we've shedded resources from our organizations, but we haven't really addressed the processes. And the processes largely are still manual processes that we put into some legacy system. And so the challenge now is that we've gone to the point where we really can't do more with the few people that we have. We, 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 in some cases, don't have enough of a core competence to continue as we had always done. So we need to really drive new integrated processes that that allows us to uh, give the tools and the processes to the right individuals to execute on their core competence rather than all the other peripheral activities that are associated with product development and manufacturing and customer support. Thank you. Great level setting for our topic. I appreciate it. Now I'm going to introduce our second panelist. He is Jeff Hoylo, and Jeff says I'm pronouncing his last name perfectly, and I just want to spell it for anybody who wants to look him up and find out more about him. It's H-O-J-L-O. He's a program director of product innovation, leading IDC Manufacturing Insights Research and Analysis of the PLM market. And Jeff has sent me a very interesting quote. Jeff, I'm going to surprise you because there are there are a couple of attributions here. The quote from a Chinese proverb is those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt those doing it. But the corollary to that, and perhaps a, a, a more interesting version, was apparently said by George Bernard Shaw, you know, the Irish playwright, critic, and socialist, whose greatest gift was modern drama, who, who passed away in 1950. And his version is, people who say it cannot be done should not interrupt those who are doing it. So I put those both out on the table. Jeff Hoylo, how are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for joining me. So talk to me. I don't care which version of the quote you like. It's really saying the same exact thing. There's another version. I think it's lead follower. Get the hell out of the way. I think we've heard that one, too. So, Jeff, how does this relate to what we've already talked about with Alan Mendel on our topic today? 
Yeah, the theme really spoke to me, I think, you know, first on a, on a professional uh, as well as a, a personal level as well. It really mirrors how I wish to live my life personally and professionally, whether it's, you know, setting a goal to train for some race I want to do or climb a mountain or, uh, or embarking on a, a long research project uh, at work. Starting something, enjoying the journey, sticking with it is key to success. You never say you can't. I mean, these are words I preach to my kids all the time, right? Young kids, you know, say to you, well, I don't think I can do that. Dad, well, you know, you know what? Stick with it. Find a way, right? And, and I think this is emblematic of innovation and product innovation. Innovation is all about asking the right questions, working collaboratively, iteratively, taking risks, overcoming roadblocks. It's not easy, but you, you never say you can't design a particular product or solve that quality issue that comes up or develop products in a new way. Um, right, and, and this is, I'm actually uh, at a, an innovation conference this week, and, and it's just, it's all about asking the right questions, it's all about finding a way, it's all about innovating and, and leveraging the amazing uh, speed of technology and advancements that are, that are happening today. You, know, you, you need to ask, why not, right? Uh, not, mm-hmm. not, not say you can't do it. And I think this is true with the product innovation platform. It's not just about new products, but it's also about new processes, right? It's figuring out new ways of developing products to meet the changes that are going on, uh, the, uh, the the massive complexity that's that's out there. Thank you, Jeff. I have a question for you. Something came to mind when you were speaking. I didn't have in my notes for the intro today the concept of the make for me generation, perhaps we call it, where people are saying, let's go back to the days of Henry Ford when it was one model for, well, you could have anything you want as long as it was black and it was a Model T, right? But the idea that people today want it, we're hearing a same-day delivery, OMG, from so many uh, companies now where they can actually guarantee it, same day, whoever thought about it. But the idea that I want something special made for me. Is that part of what we're seeing here with what we're calling the digital revolution and the industrial Internet of Things, or is that a whole separate topic, Jeff? No, absolutely. And uh, I heard that quote uh, early in the week as well. It's always uh, it's always pretty comical. Um, really, <laughs> what people are talking about is there's a market of one, right? I mean, I think with certain yes. products, there's you know, there's there's still mass customization uh, demand and, and need. But in a lot of cases, and we're not just talking consumer products and consumer packaged goods here, but we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, complex discrete industries like automotive. There's this market of one uh, that, that's out there. And I think, you know, just to, to bring it up uh, a level, and I mentioned complexity in my opening comments, really what we're dealing with here is complexity on a number of different levels. Um, you know, first is the complexity of products, right? Products are smarter. They have software in them. They're feeding data back to manufacturers. Uh, value chains and supply chains are more complex. There are more suppliers out there. There are, uh, you know, designers that companies are working with on an outsourced basis. Um, so there are just more people involved with product development, and there are local. There's local demand and competition to deal with as well, right? Um, but you know, to your point, there's also complexity of demand, and it's very dynamic. And so, how do you how do you deal with with all of that complexity? Uh, you know, developing, designing, and developing products in the old workgroup fashion, and to Alan's point, you know, passing it over the the fence to manufacturing with a set of instructions and saying, here, here's how you do it. It's it's just not going to to work anymore. So, hence hence the reason why people are looking to this this broader approach. 
Thank you very much, Jeff. Great addition to what I call the level setting of the topic with Alan Mendel. And now let's bring on our third panelist waiting so patiently in the wings is David Parrish, Global Director of Industrial Machinery and Component Solutions Marketing. That's a big title, David, for SAP. And Dave apparently is a baseball fan because he sent me a wonderful quote from Ernie Banks. Those of you wondering who was Ernie Banks, well, he had a couple of nicknames. One was Mr. Cub, C-U-B. The other one was Mr. Sunshine. He was, uh, he passed away, did he pass away this year? Looks like he might have. Was an American professional, yep, professional baseball player in the major leagues. He was a shortstop and a first baseman for the Chicago Cubs between 1953 and 71. I wish I could say before my time, but I was was barely around then. Uh, He was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 77, named to the Major League Baseball All-Century Team, woohoo, in 1999. And Ernie Banks received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2013. And here is the quote. It's a beautiful day for a baseball game. Let's play two. Ernie Banks. Go ahead, Dave Parrish. How did Ernie Banks get on our show today? Thank you, Bonnie. I appreciate it. And good morning, everybody. Um, good morning. When we started talking about the possibilities of this show. Uh, the baseball season here in the United States was still going strong. And for a change, the uh, Chicago Cubs were actually threatening to make the World Series, which they have not won. <laughs> Since 1908, so I had baseball on the mind uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, my first game was in 1967 at Wrigley Field, so I have uh-huh. not seen a championship, but I was an infant back then. And my mother's been going since the early 50s, and she turns 80 next year, so there's a couple of interesting things about Ernie Banks that made me think of uh, this topic. Number one, um, in... In the movie, if you guys remember, Back to the Future, Back to the Future mm-hmm. 2 predicted the Cubs would win the World Series in 2015, which was this year. And Dave, I need I'm you to up- talk a little bit louder for me. You're fading sure. out, and I need you just a little bit closer to your mic. Go ahead, because I don't want to miss this story. Please, go Is ahead. Is better? Yes, go ahead. Okay, great. Uh, sorry about that. Um, so, number one, the, the movie, and number two, with Ernie Banks dying, um, most people in Chicago were really thinking this was our year. But uh, after 108 years, it was uh, not to be, and uh, the Kansas City Royals won the World Series. We didn't make it, but that's okay. The important part of this quote is the positive attitude Mr. Banks had throughout his, his career, his unbridled enthusiasm for the game of baseball, um, for let's play two. He wanted to play a doubleheader every day, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, because that's, that's the kind of attitude he took into his life. And for me, um, when I think about product innovation and the product innovation platform, one of the main things for me is you, you've got to have a positive attitude. You've got to embrace change instead of fearing change and move forward because things are moving very, very quickly these days, Bonnie. They certainly are. Thank you very much, Dave. Good addition to our opening. And by the way, David Parrish, do you agree with my comments and my question to your colleagues on the panel, and particularly just now, Jeff Hoyo, about the make for me and the, the everybody, everything you make is really for one person and it should be that way? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, uh, like Alan was mentioning, I, I've been doing this since back in the 80s, also focusing on industrial machinery, and we used to talk about uh, lot size of one or market of one, um, and now today market of me. Uh, I completely agree with it uh, that this is the way you have to, industrial manufacturers have to operate in order to succeed. 
Um, it's been going on for 30, 40 years. Um, it's getting more and more complicated every day. The good news is the technology is also moving so fast that now we can actually do a lot of things from a market of me standpoint that we couldn't do, say, a few short years ago. Okay, thank you very much, David Parrish. And let's circle back to Alan Mendel. Alan, I warned you on our prep call a couple of days ago that I'm going to ask you a very personal question, and now is the time. So what are you drinking right now during the show, or what are you saving up to savor when we're off the air? Alan Mendel, and where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Salt Lake City, Bonnie. I'm actually home for a change, not traveling. Uh, and I am drinking uh, a herbal tea called Roya Boyce. R double O I B O S. It's actually a product mm-hmm. of South Africa. We have had other guests mention rooibos, and I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It's a broom-like member of the legume family of plants growing in South Africa's F Y N B O S. The generic name comes from the plant Calicatome velosa aspilotha in Greece. Pardon me. The plant has very similar growth and flowers to the rooibos plant. Anyway, yes, very very interesting. Oh, where do you get the the tea, and what do you put in it? You know, I I have my source, and uh, and, and, <laughs> and they get it for me. I uh, I'm not really allowed to disclose. Ah, I love it. That was an absolutely perfect answer. Thank you. Alan, I will respect the anonymity of your source. We wouldn't want to out anybody at the wrong place at the wrong time. Thank you, Jeff Hoyle. What are you drinking? Yes, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually in uh, on the West Coast, uh, toward the West Coast this week as well, uh, in the lovely Las Vegas. So it's, it's pretty early here, and I like to start off my day with a little exercise. Uh, followed by uh, some coffee and, and usually like a fruit smoothie. So today I'm drinking uh, a uh, robust dark roast coffee along with a mango tango smoothie, just trying to you know, keep myself awake and alert and also healthy at the same time. So uh, really gets me going in the right direction for every day. Okay, mango tango smoothie. You have to tell me what's in that. I'm dying to know. Sure. Well, uh, we have a little mango. We have, uh, don't ask me the percentage breakdown here, orange juice, uh, tangerine. Uh, we have a little apple in there as well and some peach. So it's, uh, it's quite, quite lovely, actually. I'd recommend it. It sounds lovely. I think I'm going to go make myself one later. Thank you. In this chilly northeast weather we're having, it's actually uh, not raining today. That's the best I can say for the first time in days and days here in New York. And let's turn to Dave Parrish. Where are you calling from, and what are you drinking, David? Yes, Bonnie, I'm calling in from Denver, Colorado. We've got a bright, sunny day here today with some snow on the ground, which is good for all the uh, skiers. And... Not quite as healthy with my uh, drinks of choice as, as my colleagues, Alan and uh, Jeff here. But right now I'm drinking a cup of strong, strong, strong black coffee, which I do in the morning. But really my drink of choice after work uh, is a nice pint of Guinness. And the reason mm. for that is my wife, Caitlin, has a very, very Irish background. But before I fell in love with her many, many years ago, I fell in love with Ireland and and. Let's face it, I fell in love with Guinness. It's, uh, it's just the only beer I really drink if, when I do get a chance to drink beer. It's been around since 1759, so I think they're doing something right over there in, uh, in Dublin. I think they are, and I'm sure everybody who drinks a Guinness, Dave, thinks they ma- it was made just for him or just for her. Am I right? Talking Market, about make for me? Make it of me. 
There you go. There you go. Market of me. That's right. It's it's your own experience. I have a note here from the sponsor of this series, The Future of Business with Game Changers, is David Fowler at SAP. He's on a Skype chat with me, and he says, in my cup, Caribou House Blend. Okay, Dave, whatever it is, drink up. And and I'm assuming it's high test. <laughs> that back in the day, I don't know if any of you remember high test. Uh, that's what we used to ask for at the gas pump, and that means, um, you know, full lead. What can I tell you? So caffeine and all the good stuff that goes with it. We're going to take a quick break now. When when we come back, we're going to continue to explore next generation product life management. Very important topic. We're addressing this to global industrial manufacturers, but it really has implications for all of us as the recipients of, the purchasers of, the fans of them and their products. What do these companies need to do to stick around, to grow, to thrive, to survive, so that we can have have the products we want in the coming years. So wherever you are on that part of the supply chain, we want you to stick around and listen. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break talking today with Alan Mendel at LeverX, Jeff Hoyo at IDC, and a shout-out to our friends at IDC, and David Parrish at SAP, and, of course, to our sponsor, Dave Fowler. Drink up, Dave. We'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin out. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Are. We're back in the future is now speaking today with Alan Mendel. His middle initial is F if you want to call him the official version. Jeff Hoylo, H-O-J-L-O, and David Parrish. We can all spell that, Parrish with two R's. And our topic today is next generation PLM product life management. We're going to kick off a very robust 35-minute roundtable here with Alan Mendel. And Alan, you, I'm looking at what you sent me in your notes, and let's start with the following topic. You say PLM solutions refer to the single source of truth, product record, or the complete product definition. So let's start expanding. What does PLM really mean to anybody in our listening audience today? What should it mean? Go ahead, Alan. Well, it's a great topic to discuss because like many other acronyms in the marketplace, people have their own perspectives of what they mean. Uh, this, uh, this market kind of started uh, back in the 80s in managing CAD files. We used to call that product data 
management. It was the data that was created around defining a product. Uh, that has uh, evolved into this concept of let's have a single source of truth about a product, its definition, what defines that product, uh, no, mer- no matter from what location you look from, whether you're in accounting, whether you're in manufacturing, whether you're in design engineering, whether you're in test engineering, where you're, whether you're in industrial engineering. So you can go to one source within the company and find the actual true product definition, and you, have, you know it's the right version, you know it's the right uh, record, there aren't, uh, there's not somebody else out there making a change that you don't know about yet. And so that has driven a lot of uh, focus for PLM solutions in the marketplace. That's evolved over the last, I say, decade and a half to, to expand to be, well, what's the complete product definition? Meaning that we started largely in being focused on geometry what geometrically defined the product. We used to draw this on drafting boards. Then in the 80s, we got people off of engineers off of the drafting board and into computers to draw their designs. That then evolved into 3D and being able to model not only the design, but prototypes and iterations and analysis and lots of other capabilities that allowed us to more effectively design our products and optimize them for our customers. But then that expanded to, well, products aren't just mechanical. Uh, They include electronics. And of course, if they include electronics, then they include software. And so it became a much more complex, uh, if you will, product structure or bill of materials of how all these pieces fit together in order to define your product. And that's where we get to today, a kind of a next generation of product lifecycle management solutions that provide an innovation platform uniting different enterprise and disciplines and extends into your partners and to your suppliers. And in some cases, reach back to your customers so that you can be jointly defining uh, your products. You mentioned the the customer of one. Uh, My son Mm -hmm. is an avid uh, soccer player, plays in high school, and just ordered on Nike uh, some custom soccer shoes for himself. Took three weeks. Couldn't didn't get overnight quite with the Google drone, but uh-huh. uh, they are exactly the the type of shoe that he'd like, and he'll get them in three weeks, which is very impressive. It's very impressive, and it's something that I'm sure he would have loved it in two weeks or ten days, or deliver by I don't know the first day of Hanukkah, which is Sunday or whatever it is. But we are, I guess, we're learning we have to wait a little bit. But imagine, Alan, that he could even do it in the first place. And how customized were they, or are they? How many details did he get to describe? That's I think that's truly the interesting part of this because, as we know, when we build our products different portions of them come from different places in the supply chain. And he Uh was able to uh, pick the color of the shoe. He he was able to pick the color of the swoosh from Nike. He was able to pick the shoelaces that went into it. Uh, So, you know, it's not quite changing the design, if you will, by taking, for example, changing the size of the tongue or something like that. But there are a number of different options you can pick, and it dynamically shows you on the screen as you pick them what it's going to look like. And so I think it's quite impressive uh, to be able to define that. And then essentially, you, uh, you know, we talked about the cars where you'd go in, you'd order your car, and your mm-hmm. picture would be, right? Remember those commercials? The picture of you, your order would be hanging from the rearview mirror. And as the, pe- <laughs> as the people on the line were installing the components and options, they could see who they were building this for. And, and we're really getting, I think, to that, uh, that, cap- that, that aspect of capabilities uh, in the modern system. And, and we need PLM innovation platforms to support that. 
Thank you very much. Good good pictures there. I like that a lot. It reminds me of when you want to go to order a new license plate, at least on the New York State DMV. And if you want, uh, you know, Bonnie Radio or whatever it is, or Radio Red, they'll actually show you what it looks like while you're typing in the letters. And I always love that. Very simplistic, but it's nice to see what you're getting. And also the makeover photos, but we won't go there. <laughs> I should have known what I'd look like as a redhead before I did it, but now I'm glad. Jeff Hoylo, love to get you in on this conversation. Thoughts about single source of truth and uh, make for me and all of the components of the supply chain and manufacturing. Jeff, talk to us. Sure. Um, you know, as I said, you know, the, the whole concept of market for one is, uh, you know, it's not just consumer products. I think that's kind of where, where it has the most traction, where it where pro- maybe always will, but also in industries like automotive, right? There's uh, actually a, a small upstart company, car company, I won't, I won't mention. They make small lots of of cars, pretty expensive for, uh, you know, big-time buyers. But, you know, these cars are highly personalized and customized, right down to, you know, the, uh, the seat measurements, right, so that, you, you know, if you're buying the car, you fit in that seat perfectly. If it, you know, it's like a glove uh, to the steering wheel, right, and, and uh, how, it's, how it's molded to your hand and your grip, depending on your, your hand size, to the color of that car, right? Um, and I think... Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, what, what's enabling this is the, the uh, digitization and the democratization of 3D. Um, you hear that, mm-hmm. that term a lot. Uh, you also might have heard the term of uh, digital twin, right? So there's this notion of creating a product innovation platform and establishing that sort of as the, as the, the, the vehicle, if you will, for communicating uh, the specs of a product and the design of a product and letting customers, letting suppliers, letting partners uh, react and um, um, interact with that digital, that digital twin, right, and provide feedback uh, and ideas for changes and adjustments to what those products might be. So there's this, I think, convergence of it's, you know, I think five or six years ago we talked about PLM emerging from, you know, from, as Alan was saying, PDM to CPDM, collaborative PDM. Uh, and then five or six years ago, PLM was talked about as a decision support platform, right? Uh, it's not just PDM. It's also things like managing your portfolios of products. It's also uh, encompassing new product ideas. It's collaborating with suppliers. So that was kind of the first incarnation of, I think, the product innovation platform. I think what's, what's changed is, first, this, this notion of, you know, democratizing and digitizing 3D images and letting people interact with them, uh, but also just the underlying, you know, third-platform technologies, as we call them at IDC, that are enabling this, uh, this, this uh, rapid growth into the product innovation platform. And by third-platform technologies, I mean things like uh, cloud, so PLM moving to the cloud, or at least some of the processes moving to the cloud, um, big data and analytics, so being able to uh, to collate and analyze and respond to data from smart connected products in the field um, to mobile technologies, right? Being able to actually keep a development process, a product development process, or a collaboration with a supplier going even when you're traveling, right? To so look on your mobile and just, you know, boom, check off. Yep, I approve that. Let's keep the process moving so you can meet your deadline. Uh, to even social technologies, right? Social networking, you know, we're all familiar with that, but, you know, I think increasingly you're seeing a lot of PLM solutions out there encompassing a lot of the tenants of social networking into their product development processes. So you have these, these, uh, this ability to provide <clears throat> visualization of new products 
and interact mm-hmm. with, with people and, and customers on that, uh, but also do it in a way that's very familiar and very easy and kind of a, a socialized way, right? Um, so I think, I think those, uh, it's really important to think about those enabling uh, technologies and changes that, that have been happening over the past, you know, three, four, five years to accelerate where we are today. Thank you, Jeff. I'm looking, I, I Googled Digital Twin while you were speaking and found an interesting article at GE Look Ahead, all one word, dot economist dot com slash digital dash twin. And it's, I'll just read the headline. It says, The Digital Twin. Could this be the 21st century approach to productivity enhancements? And this is a brand new article posted just uh, September 30th of this year. Very, very interesting. I won't go into any more detail. Dave Parrish, love to hear your thoughts on digital twins and any other members of the industrial Internet of Things and product enhancement family. Talk to me, Dave Parrish. You bet. Um, yeah, the concept of a digital twin is, is it's real, right? It's happening today. And as Jeff mentioned a, a few minutes ago, how these PLM systems evolved first into, you know, just basically design and engineering, right, into more decision support platforms for business. Um, really now we're taking it to the next level where we're integrating at all the different disciplines both inside and outside of your organization, right? So whether we're talking about collaborating with suppliers on certain, um, certain aspects of the raw, material, raw materials or the assemblies, whether we're talking about the customers, the market of me, if you will, which I think I'm going to use all the time now, um, it really is moving towards a level of, you know, like we said with this digital twin. Jeff also mentioned uh, cloud and IoT platforms. Um, Alan was talking about geometry and all the different 2D and 3D technologies that have evolved over the years. How do we make sense of all this as a manufacturer of of really complex industrial machinery, right? So the examples, Alan gave one of the shoes for his son, the soccer shoes for his son, very Mm -hmm. consumer-oriented, but still a very real um, example. And Jeff moved into the, the cars. You know, we've, we've heard about it from Harley-Davidson and making the motorcycle of, you know, the market of one in less than a couple of days. Um, but let's move it to the next level, right? Now we're talking about really complex industrial business-to-business type machines where you have something like a farm tractor or a combine out in the field being run, let's face it, without the farmer anymore. Right? The farmer's mm-hmm. almost like he's playing a game with a joystick, um, operating this driverless vehicle, um, all the way down to compressor systems in, in industrial factories that are continually communicating back to the manufacturer of the equipment, telling you, well, we need, we need a fan now, or we need gas now, or whatever the, the uh, consumable would be. But the bottom line is it's evolving. It's evolving quickly. Um, we all need to embrace it and keep that attitude of innovation alive and well in industrial manufacturing. Thank you very much. I'm going to roll this back to Alan Mendel since you started this thread. Alan, any comments on what your colleagues on the panel, Jeff and Dave, have added to this very interesting discussion? Alan? No, I think that they brought up great points. Uh, I did want to just go back to a little bit to the concept of a complete product definition or a single source of truth and, and say that you know, we, we all tend to kind of focus on um, either kind of the engineering geometry kind of side of things, 
or we, we talk about some of the great new uh, Internet of Things and uh, using GPS, uh, as Dave mentioned, uh, David mentioned about the, the tractors and so forth and having them more autonomous and driving paths and so forth. But the, I think one of the key ideas under the uh, product innovation platform is that uh, the cost for the product, how I get that product, how the supply chain interacts with my products uh, is part of that innovation platform. And I, and I can't just have an environment where I'm just focused on defining what it should look like. There is the actual execution of how I'm going to build it, what plants I'm going to build it, how, it's, uh, how I'm going to change things that are already in flight. Um, there, there is this whole big world uh, in manufacturing and supply chain, and, and uh, our supply chains are getting more, more fragmented, uh, that mm-hmm. we need to essentially be managing all together. Uh, in this innovation platform, if we want to truly get to those that, that real customer intimacy type of strategic model, um, or drive product leadership, or drive an operational excellence strategy, um, you know, we we sometimes just talk about customizing, but there's also operational Walmart, right? How do I get your product to you at the best price with the most uh, most option, uh, variety of products on the shelf? And so, not everybody's trying to build a custom product. But uh, you're either building a, a, some product that you want to be a leader in the marketplace, you're trying to optimize your operations and be operational excellent, or you want to be tightly intimate with your customers, build a, a product of one, or have a service program that beats everybody else. Thank you very much, Alan. I'm going to move on to another topic, an extension of this topic from my notes from Jeff Hoylo at IDC. Uh, Jeff, let's talk about the users of, of what we introduced in the opening of the show, talking about a product innovation platform. And you say that the core users will be design, engineering, and manufacturing. It will also involve marketing and product management who are helping to drive customer-facing innovation. Then you bring in partners and supply chain and others and on and on and on. So you want to talk to us about, let's go from the core, who really will be most interested in this and who will benefit from it? Sure. Um, you know, I think, I think in a way... Um, it's, it differs a little bit from, um, from industry to industry. Um, I, I think it brings up the, the discussion of, okay, so, you know, to, to Alan's point about single source of truth, I, I think what, one thing I wanted to add is, you know, the first step to establishing a product innovation platform is uh, to obviously unify that data. The reality is that over the years, uh, multiple instances of PLM systems or PDM uh, data management systems existed out there. So there's this unification effort that's happening at a lot of companies that it's been happening for the past, you know, five to, you know, five plus years. Um, you know, once, once that happens, I think companies, uh, depending on what industry they're in really, um, need to think about what does the product innovation platform mean for me? Where do I start my, my efforts? For complex, mm-hmm. discrete manufacturing industries like automotive, uh, like um, industrial machinery, like heavy equipment, things like that. The focus is, as it, as it has been, um, I think, as, it has to be around systems engineering, right? It's, uh, these products have um, mechanical data to bring together, electrical data, uh, increasingly software, as we've talked about. And, you know, I'd argue uh, systems, uh, you know, if you look at the systems engineering V image that uh, some of us are, are, are familiar with, it's, I think it also includes manufacturing process plans as well and manufacturing how you're actually executing that that product 
So you really need to look at, at uh, things holistically like that. And who's going to care about that? Uh, those companies, those discrete companies. It's going to be engineering. It's going to be a lot of the traditional PLM users, I think, and designers. Uh, but then when you get into um, industries like medical device, right, um, or pharmaceutical, um, or you know, other compliance driven industries. And I think, you know, quality is going to be a big focus as well, right? So there are quality management systems out there uh, that, you know, that's, that's going to be a focus. Okay, I bring my product data together into a single system. Uh, how can I then leverage quality information? Um, you know, errors that come up either on the manufacturing process side or the actual function of uh, a product in the field or customer feedback. And then how do I react to that quickly? How do I ensure that I'm meeting compliance regulations? Uh, and then if you look at consumer products companies and retail companies, right, their focus is around um, bringing, uh, managing a massive portfolio of products, right, killing the dogs, if you will, and uh, the ones that aren't performing, and bringing new products to market quickly and, and efficiently. So then product portfolio management becomes really a, a focus, right, of that product innovation platform. So you have it, that underlying data, uh, but you have a much more uh, actionable approach of managing your and uh, proactive approach of managing your portfolios of products. So that's going to bring, um, you know, marketing, uh, right, and sales and product management. Maybe the people a little bit more upstream who are closer to the customer on a day-to-day basis, who can get that feedback much more quickly, have their uh, their finger on the pulse of the market, if you will, on you know how trends are changing and what products I need to bring to market or how I should adjust existing products, right? So, um, so I think it's it's really uh, you know who's who are the users really is dependent on what the driving need is per market per company, and you, can, you could also have the same conversation: large company versus small company, depending on what their target audience is. So. Thank you. Dave Parrish, I know you have something to add here to what Jeff just started. Talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really appreciate, you know, hearing from Alan and Jeff. A um, couple of things that stood out for me. The first one, Alan mentioned, yeah, there's a whole big world out there. And I couldn't agree more because I think in the past, you know, and we've talked about this a little bit already, you know, when it comes to collaboration, in industrial context, we've we've talked about customers, you know, getting the requirements back from them and doing the market of me type of thing. We've talked about suppliers and how we can build those relationships and make sure it's a win-win across the board. Um, and then Jeff mentioned unification efforts within your own company. So for the industrial manufacturer themselves, whether they're building turbines or, you know, Semiconductor equipment, printing machines, whatever, whatever the big complex piece of piece of equipment is. These unification efforts, there is a whole big world, and it's not just stuck in engineering anymore, right? It's engineering, it's sales and marketing, it's supply chain procurement, it's um, sourcing, um, and what we see a lot with our customers, in addition to manufacturing quality and some of the compliance things Jeff mentioned, um, taking it all the way to the aftermarket service level, right, where you're collaborating across this value chain that is becoming more global and is becoming more fragmented and is becoming more complex. And you're taking that and you're, how are you managing this equipment moving forward and how are you using the latest and greatest technologies, this platform, if you will, a product innovation platform, to make sure that everyone, number one, like Alan said, is operating off of 
one single version of the truth, which we've heard a ton, and it's a cliche, but it's true. In order to run a successful business, you have to do it. We all do. Um, so what I see across the board is um, it is a whole big world out there. Change is coming, and you really have to look at not only your customers, your suppliers, and your subcontractors, but also key focus within your own disciplines, within your own organization. Thank yeah, you, if David. I could jump in there, Bonnie, for a yeah, second. Um, please. You know, I, I think um, yeah, Dave brings up a good point about about service, and you know, I think you know, much much like it's it's still a challenge on a level um, to have the collaboration happen between you know a systems engineer and a manufacturing engineer and uh, other people on the plant floor. Floor, you don't uh, you don't typically get the collaboration that you need, but I think that's improving as we've talked about with the advancements uh, with the product innovation platform digital twin uh, with uh, visualization advancements. Um, it's just easier to share um, not just work instructions, but visually enhanced work instructions. And I think similarly, uh, that paradigm is going to hope slowly, hopefully uh, a little more rapidly than I expect, um, move to the service front as well, right, where you know today maybe a set of work instructions are given to service technicians and they perform uh, the service that they need, um, but uh, you know, visually enhancing that and enabling that real-time collaboration back with an, uh, an engineer back in the office, it wouldn't that be interesting if someone's in the field and say, "Hey, I have a problem here. I'm a service technician. You know, let's take a look at this, right?" Um, and they can, in real time, you know, look at that visual image of of the product, uh, maybe. You know, maybe using augmented reality glasses. Who knows, right? There's, there's discussion about augmented reality enhancing service, and then feeding that information back to engineers and enabling to, you know, them to troubleshoot quickly on a on a uh, an issue that comes up. You know, that's an interesting proposition. Um, I think one other thing I'd mention as well is um, this notion of connected products, right? Um, so. Uh, that means basically products with more software in them that are, you hear people talk about, quote, smart products, um, a whole, whole number of terms out there. But essentially what it means is products in the field now uh, for a number of different companies can feed back information to manufacturers on um, any quality issues that come up and theoretically even uh, performance and usage, right? Uh, you know, maybe at some point, you know, we can not only respond more quickly to quality issues and service issues. I think that's where people are focused with connected products, uh, but also at some point, I, think I hear it from manufacturers more and more. You know, how do I leverage that usage and performance information to uh, enable my designers and engineers to make better products in the future, better versions of that products, or maybe even new products? That's exactly what we're looking for. Was that you, Jeff, talking just now? Yeah, that was me. I'm sorry. I didn't. I thought so. That's that okay. Was, yeah. I, I was pretty sure I knew. Alan Mendel, I want to make sure you get in on this. Talk to me. Thoughts? Yeah, I was, I was just going to make a mention that, and that you know, a lot of this conversation is great, but the real challenge that we find as an implementer is, is getting change to happen, right? It starts with the executives. What's the compelling event that is going to drive an executive or executives to agree to let's change what we're doing. Let's deliver different products. Let's 
get into this Internet of Things and try to figure it out. Uh, and that, that's a challenge. And you have to spend some time with the executives and get them to understand what the impact's going to be. Uh, the other challenge is getting people to change, right, to stop reinventing mm-hmm. the wheel and focus on their core competence. A lot of companies get confused and feel that, you know, we've built our products like this for 20 years, and why should we change? And if we had to change, won't it take us 20 more years to figure it out again? Too many companies, in my opinion, they, they feel they need to reinvent everything. They have to have their own change processes, and it's unique to them. Uh, they failed to really focus on what they do best and leverage industry processes and practices for the rest. Um, I, I say to companies a lot of times, let's be honest, your company's value in the marketplace is not based on your unique 22-step engineering change process. Mm-hmm. What the value will be defined is how you can take advantage of these Internet of Things uh, and embed those sensors in your products. And then once they're in your products, how on earth are you going to take the big data that's going to be streaming from all these devices and generate value back to your customers? So I think uh, there's a combination of, of these great concepts and the digital twin and a product innovation platform, but it's also getting back to the executives to help them understand what's the compelling argument to make change uh, and, and potentially change how they do business. And then get and that's the, why the workers to follow speaking. on. Uh, yeah, I'm go sorry, ahead, Alan. Jeff. I just wanted to, to interject, and, and you know, um, th- that's you know that's why um, you know I think it's important to start not maybe not small, but start in a targeted fashion with a product innovation platform. Um, you, you know, we have a a nice model as everyone else does for for the aspirational view of what the product innovation platform can be. Right um, when you're at like you know, step four or five on the maturity curve. Um, I have to mention maturity curve. I'm, I'm, I'm an industry analyst, but I think back to my point about you know, per industry, uh, the innovation platform is going to mean different things. I mean, the first step might be on a systems engineering front, just bringing those mechanical, electrical, and software people together on a single platform. I was at an industrial machinery uh, executive conference about a year and a half ago or so, um, and there's definitely a cultural. A resistance to even working uh, amongst the their you know fellow engineers, right? Uh, why should I share my mechanical engineering data with my electrical you know cohort? And I don't even know what those software engineers are working on. They really never talk to me. They kind of just do their own thing. And you know how can we how can we uh, you know share information in a way that uh, we, each of us can benefit? So I think that's where you know companies like automotive and and machinery uh, and, and other discrete companies really need to focus their their efforts, right, and then also transition to what's the smooth uh, handoff they can make off to manufacturing. You know, visually enhanced work instruction is probably the first step, uh, and then and then go from there. Um, you know, and and uh, and on with other industries. Maybe it's quality management. Maybe it's product portfolio management connected to product data, right? So, you know, take small steps like that. Have executives. Uh, take ownership of you know why this needs to happen, why it's a good thing, why we need analytics across the the company, why the Internet of Things matters, why you need to work together with your manufacturing cohorts and closer with manufacturing. Uh, well, it's because of all that complexity that I I spoke about earlier. 
Thank you. And you know what? We're just about at the point where I have to give each of you one minute for your predictions for 2020 or any point in the future that catches your fancy. But Dave Parrish, I just wanted to give you a chance for just a couple of comments here on one of your topics. Uh, we've been talking about Internet of Things. We've been talking a little bit about big data. And you have a note here in your topics you sent me. You say, uh, industrial Internet of Things revolution combined with recent tech innovations that give manufacturers the ability to make sense out of big data have led to a proliferation in the demand for connected products, a.k.a. smart products. You want to just give me two or three sentences on this, Dave Parrish, and then I'm going to circle back to Alan very quickly for predictions. Dave, any other thoughts on this? Uh, absolutely. Um, thanks, Bonnie. Again, mm-hmm. I, I love hearing uh, Jeff and Alan because they, they just speak directly to my customers in the industrial base. Um, a couple things around, you know, Alan mentioned big data, and I think that's part of the technology revolution is we can do things with that data today that we couldn't do a few short years ago, right? The technology has just grown so fast and is moving so quickly that now we can make sense out of this proliferation of data that the machines produce. Um, And around, you know, things like the Internet of Things, this revolution, if you will, um, it goes back to what both Alan and Jeff mentioned about maybe some cultural resistance to change within mm-hmm. these kind of older school industrial companies um, where you really need, you do need that executive buy-in. You need the executives to be champion this change. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, in my day-to-day, I have to be innovative all the time if I am going to be able to keep up with everything that's going on in the industrial marketplace. So. Thank you. Guess what? Alan Mendel, I can't even give you each one minute for predictions. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. So very tight. Alan Mendel, I love 2020. I don't know how far and how clearly you can see ahead in the crystal ball in front of you. But what do you see for next generation PLM product life management coming down the pike? Give me the time frame and give me 30 seconds. Alan, go. All right. Thank you. So I see in the next five years, I see a lot of companies uh, coming to terms with they can't continue to do more with less uh, unless they start addressing their processes and their underlining systems. So I see an increased adoption of product lifecycle management uh, concepts and practices and, and companies taking advantage of more integrated solutions that bring all of the di- disparate disciplines together. I think also big data will be a big part of, uh, of our products and how we generate value to our customers. But security and securing that information, I think, will be a big trend moving Thank forward. Thank you. Jeff Hoylo, 30 years. seconds predictions. Give me. Sure. Okay. Uh, so uh, cloud, first of all, our, our data shows that uh, – Companies want to start leveraging the cloud for not just basic collaboration, but also design review with partners, customers, uh, and other people across the value chain. And also managing quality data, actually, is, is something that showed up in our data. I think increasingly the cloud becomes uh, more of a mature platform for PLM. Analytics for quality and innovation, I mentioned this. So analytics, not just to respond more quickly to product issues, but also to look at data, connected product data, and leverage that for future iterations of products. Digital twins, we talked about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. This is just going to be the the container, I think, um, to enable people to collaborate much more quickly across value chains. And then finally, environmental impact. Um, I think with uh, a lot of the issues that have come up, um, not just climate change, but also some of the issues you you see with uh, across industry, 
uh, environmental impact is going to be a big issue here and how we design and model more environmentally friendly products and also more environmentally friendly buildings as well. I think companies are going to be looking increasingly, maybe even simultaneously, as they're designing products, you know, how can I produce and manufacture that product in the most efficient and environmentally friendly way in my manufacturing plant? Thank you, Jeff. I have to save 30 seconds, and that's all we have left. Dave Parrish, predictions, go. You bet. Well, of course, um, the next five years, the Cubs are going to win the World Series all five years in a row. 108-year <laughs> drought, and to make my 80-year-old mother very happy and myself. But uh, you know, along the lines of the product innovation platform, you know, if we fast-forward five years down the road, I think this platform is going to be the rule rather than the exception. I think today you see it with some of the more uh, thought-leading companies and some of the larger organizations. I think you will see it, as Jeff mentioned, you're going to see a lot more cloud adoption around this topic. Um, you're going to see more and more adaptive learning on these machines. Jeff also mentioned and Alan mentioned augmented reality. You're going to mm-hmm. see more of that. Um, basically, to quote Alan, it's a whole big world out there, and it's, uh, it's moving fast, kids. Quotable moment. Thank you all. Alan Mendel at LeverX, Jeff Hoylow at IDC, David Parrish at SAP, and shout out, of course, to Dave Fowler, who sponsors the show. And I have a quick prediction. Uh, starting sometime in January or February, we're going to have a brand new series among our eight or nine, either renewing or new series coming up. What a packed schedule we're going to have. We're going to have a series called, I think it's going to be called uh, The Future of the Extended Supply Chain. So I can introduce the three of you to the sponsor of that show, and maybe there'll be an opportunity for you to come back. I'm Bonnie DeGram. Thank you again. A shout out to our engineer at the Business Channel team. It's Justin. And uh, get well message to Jeff Spinard. And we'll talk to you soon. This is it for our production, our live radio week. And I'll be back next week with part two of Predictions 2016 on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Another 16 thought leaders next Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern. You don't want to miss it. Part one was amazing. Talk to you soon. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. I don't care who manufactures it. Put it on. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.